Well, we're glad you're here. Sorry you're uh, maybe a little bit crowded. Maybe someday we can correct that. We're hoping to do some building out here and some things to maybe enable you to be a little more comfortable when you come. <clears throat> but whatever we have out here, we'll share with you. You know, you can sleep on the floor and things like that, so we are glad to have you. Now, I want you to turn with me this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And let me give you a little background while you're, you're turning to that. Uh, Paul had been in Thessalonica, and during his time there, uh, it was on his second missionary journey, and we don't know for sure how long he spent in that city. We know he was there for three weeks for sure because Acts 17, the first nine verses of, of Acts 17, you can jot that down and look at it later and see what happened when he was there. But while he was there, he went into the synagogue to preach. Now, incidentally, let me just share this little sideline with you and you can jot down this reference. Acts 17:17. 17, 17 is a verse that indicates there are two places where Paul basically had his ministry. And I think this can give you some direction for your own life. In Acts 17, 17, it says, And Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace every day with those that happened to be present. So there were two places he had his ministry. One was in the synagogue, and the synagogue in that day and time would be what we'd basically say our, you know, call our church today. And uh, so that's where people are who are interested in God. And one of the places as you grow as a Christian, you want to learn to have a ministry, is you want to learn to have a ministry in the church. And you also want to learn to have a ministry out in the marketplace because it says in the marketplace, Paul... Uh, uh, you know, witnessed every day in the marketplace with those that happened to be present. As he'd go out into the marketplace or out into the world where he worked or whatever, he would witness to those. And you, ne you never know from day to day he'd show up, but Paul had a witness there. So that's, that's the thing you want to do. And in your training, one of the things we're trying to do is help people to have a ministry in those two places, in the church and out in the world, because that's what Paul did. And always when Paul would head to a new city, one of the first places he'd go would be to the synagogue because that's where people who had an interest in God were congregated. And you'll notice as you read through the book of Acts that Paul often goes to the synagogue. When, when he doesn't go to the synagogue, it's for one reason normally, it's because there's not one there. And when he got to Philippi, there was no synagogue in Philippi, but he found a group of ladies meeting down by the river to pray. So he met with them. So Paul would just gravitate, and that's a good thing to always remember. When you move to a new city or a new town, one of the first places you ought to head is to the church. You ought to find your church because there you're going to find some other people who are interested in God. And any time you find a group of people meeting who have an interest in God, you can be assured that there you can find some fellowship and also you can have a ministry of helping those people. Now, that may be a little strange to some of you because some of you may not have come from strong church backgrounds. But as you grow as a Christian and try to make your life count, one of the things you want to do is to have a ministry in the church. Now, I believe Gene Moore spoke to you last night, and I don't know if he told you this, but he's taught a Sunday school class for 31 years. And so he's had a tremendous ministry. You go to the church where he is and around Oklahoma City, the people all over the place that he's influenced because through the years he's had a ministry there in that church. <clears throat> 
Now, so Paul headed to the synagogue. When he got to Thessalonica, he went to the synagogue and started preaching. Well, some of the people didn't like what they heard in the synagogue, some of the Jews, and so they ran him out. Now, we know he was there for three Sabbaths because Acts 17 tells us that he reasoned in the synagogue for three Sabbath days, and they ran him out. Now, where he went after that, uh, we're not real sure. He probably stayed in town but just no longer went into the synagogue because they, they wouldn't allow him to speak there. And so he probably stayed in town a while longer and talked. We don't know for sure how long, but it probably was somewhere in the neighborhood. It could not have been over uh, a year and a half at the outside and probably was more like six months, something like that. Uh, so he could have been in that town for six months. Now, that's important. As you remember, as we study this, as we study this passage of First Thessalonians, because just to remember that Paul had gone into this city, and from the day he got there till the day he left was probably six months, and yet he had had a tremendous impact in some people's lives. Now that's important for you to remember on the college campus, because you might say, "Well, I'm a junior. I don't have very much longer. I'm a, I'm a senior. I'm a freshman. Whatever." And you think, "Well, I can't do very much because I'm just not going to be here that long." Well. Uh, it was rare for Paul to ever be anywhere for four years. I mean, I don't know as you can find any place he spent four years. I mean, he just roared in, turned to... Well, they said of him, the early apostles, said these men that have turned the world upside down have come here also. I mean, they, the word got around about those people. So you can have a tremendous impact in people's lives in a very brief period of time. Now, that doesn't mean that they're totally mature and grown and they don't have any more growing to do, but it does mean that as far as the direction of their life, a person's life, life direction can be changed in a very short period of time. Like if you could have been here at, at Oklahoma University and could have known Larry or could have known Joanne, you would have been amazed at what happened to them in a very brief period of time. Uh, from the time, you know, we first met Larry Lee graduated, he was totally different. This was true of Calleen, certainly true of, of Joanne, because she became a Christian while she was here, and Larry did too. Well, in a short period of time, just a whole direction changed, just a whole complete change. And so Paul went into there and started preaching in the synagogue. And I mean, uh, he got him so stirred up in three weeks that they ran him off. And uh, now I don't normally suggest that you uh, take that approach in the church uh, because they, when you go into church, apparently they're believers in Jesus, and that's a the problem there. They weren't. But they were the Jewish people who had had some background from the Old Testament and at least were interested in God. Now, Paul stayed about, let's say, somewhere in the neighborhood of six months. And then he had to leave because they were trying to kill him. The opposition had grown, and so he left. Uh, at, at a later time, he went on to Corinth, and it's from Corinth that he writes First Thessalonians, and this is the very first letter that he wrote. The book of First Thessalonians is the first book we have in the New Testament that Paul wrote. So I share all that to say it's going to be interesting now for you to see how in the very first letter he ever wrote what he's talking about. And so I want us to look at that. First Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll just... Uh, Take a few minutes to look at this, this chapter. Beginning with verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind 
your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with, joy, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and a true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, let's look back over some of these verses. In the early part, like verse 1, Paul is simply sending greeting. Paul and Silvanus, you'll also find that word, uh, that's, uh, I think, his Roman name or his Jewish name, and the other name is Silas. You'll see it written Silas sometime. Uh, Paul and Silas, Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Verse 2, he gives thanks. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. And there's some things we remember about you, he says. We constantly bear in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Now, you know, Larry had asked me to give some thoughts concerning world need and, and what we need to do to have our part in reaching the world. You know, I think a lot of times when we become, when we first become Christians and get excited about spiritual multiplication and trying to reach people and train them, we think, boy, uh, God, you've got me now and I'm going to be totally committed to you and you can just change this whole world. Well, God's interested in changing the whole world, but he wants to use a lot of people to do it. He has some things here to say to us about how you can have a great ministry. Now, Paul had a tremendous ministry in Thessalonica. We're going to see this in a few moments as we study this. He had a tremendous ministry in Thessalonica, and he tells us here how he did it. Now, if we can figure out how Paul did it, because Paul was always saying that you follow my example or you follow me, then I think we see how we can have a great ministry. And look at verse 5, and there are four points here I want to make. And so you can jot these down, and we'll talk about them. I'll give them to you one at a time. Incidentally, I would encourage you to really take notes, because in, uh, in, then you can get aside, and you can pray over this, and in years to come even, you can look back over your notes and refresh your mind as what God said to you. Now, it says in verse 5, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. All right, I want us to stop at this time. Now, Paul said, when I came to you, when I came into Thessalonica, now he's left Thessalonica. He went to Corinth because some of the Jews in Thessalonica were trying to kill him. He had to sneak away, and he left and went down to Corinth, and he's very, very concerned about those young Christians he left back in Thessalonica. He cannot go see them himself. He wanted to, he says later in chapter 3, he wanted to come to him, and he said, I would have 
once and again. First Thessalonians 3.18. I would have come to you again and again and again. But Satan hindered me. I couldn't. They were trying to kill him. And so Paul couldn't go back to Thessalonica. So as a result of it, he sent Timothy back to see what was going on. And so Timothy went back to Thessalonica to see what was happening. And he came back and told Paul the tremendous things that were going on there. And it's at that time that Paul writes them. And so he says, Now you remember when I came that my, our gospel didn't come to you in just word. It wasn't just a bunch of words. But it was also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now, the first thing I want to say to you, if you're going to have a great ministry, the, one of the first things you have to learn is you must learn to present the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, you must learn to present the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you have perhaps not been Christians very long, or you're young in your walk with the Lord, and probably there's nothing that scares you any more than think that you'd have to go out in a dorm or out on a campus where you are and witness to people. Now, some of you have already been doing that. But, you know, that's a pretty scary thing, isn't it? To think, like, for example, if we're just sitting here this morning, I say, now, hey, I, right over here at this house across the way, I know there's a college student there, and we'll say they're your own sex and your own age, and they're there by themselves, and I know that person's not a Christian, so we're all going to stay here and pray for you. You go over and witness to them. Well, how many of you would be afraid? Well, most of you, wouldn't you? The rest of you just probably aren't honest. But, I mean, most people <laughs> most people would be... I mean, that's scary. That's spooky, isn't it? I mean, that at first is, is very scary. I remember when I was in college trying to learn to witness, and I became very convicted that I should tell other people about Jesus and uh, try to help them to become Christians. And so one night I decided, well, I'll just get started. <clears throat> and I was scared to death. But I thought, well, the Lord had just really convinced me. Because as I'd been reading the Bible, I saw that the early Christians went everywhere sharing and witnessing. And let me say this to you. There's an attractive way in which you can witness. See, a lot of times we think that the way to witness is, you know, you get your big 12-pound Bible and go marching down, beating people over the head with it, see? I mean, some people caricature witnessing that way. No. That's not the only way to do it. There's a way in which you can be a very attractive witness. And I know people out in the lay world, and they're very attractive witnesses. There are ways in which you can get in conversation with people. Like yesterday, coming home from the airport, uh, we saw a girl walking along, uh, and so we stopped to pick her up. She looked like a college girl, and we assumed that a lot of kids are coming back in from the ski slopes and I know I, the plane I came in on, there are a lot of college kids that have been to Vail and Aspen and places like that to ski. And so uh, we saw this girl walking along. We thought, now, she's probably a college girl here at OU. So we stopped and picked her up and got, got in a conversation with her. Had a tremendous conversation. Took her home. She's not a Christian. And uh, we had, my wife and I, had a good opportunity to witness to her. Now, there's an attractive way in which it could be done. She didn't get mad. She didn't throw us out of the room or anything like that. We had a, a good conversation with her because she doesn't know where she's going in life. She's concerned about her life and, and uh, you know, who she's going to marry and things like that. And so we, we told her, well, if you'll turn your life over to Jesus, he wants to give you direction as to who you marry, the job you get, and all these things. Well, see, there's a way to be an attractive witness. Well, that night I decided, I want a witness. And so I, I started down the hall. And I thought, I'll just go find somebody and talk to them. 
And so I started down the hall in the dorm where I lived, and I walked along, I saw this door open, and a fellow sitting at a desk by himself. And I thought, well, there's somebody by himself, so I'll start with him. And so I looked in the room, and there he had his back to me, and was sitting there at the desk. And so I stood there for a moment, and then I walked on down the end of the hall. And I read, there's a bulletin board down there, so I read the bulletin board. <laughs> and then I came back by, and I looked in, and he was still sitting there. I was afraid he would be, so. And I walked down to the end of the hall and got a drink. And then I prayed some more, and then I walked by, and he was still there. And I went back and looked at the bulletin board. And I came back and got another drink. And I don't know how many times I walked in front of his door before, you know, just praying. I, I was scared. Just that God would give me the wisdom to go in there and talk to him. Well, you know, I went in, and it was a very stumbling witness. But, you know, God used it. And I've seen times like that in which, uh, just again and again, I could tell you stories of, of times in which I felt like it was such a weak witness, and yet God used it. I remember one fellow when I was a sophomore, and I, I was trying to learn to witness, and I didn't know how, but I'd hear him, you know, cussing down the hall and, and singing dirty songs and this sort of thing, and one thing was pretty evident, he wasn't a Christian. And so one day I went down to witness to him. I took a little gospel of John, and I said, Micah, have you ever thought about becoming a Christian? And he started laughing. He said, I, he said, I don't even know if there's a God or not. And I said, well, would you like to know? And he said, oh, I don't know. don't know if it makes a whole lot of difference. And so I said, well, I think it makes a great deal of difference. So I began to tell him how God had changed my life. And I said, now I'm going to give you this Gospel of John, and I want you to read it. And I said, before you do, pray. And he said, pray? He said, man, I don't even know if there's a God to hear. And I said, well, I know there is. And before you do, you just pray and say, God, if it's true that Jesus is your son and you exist, then I want you to let me know about it. I thought that's fair enough. So I left him the Gospel of John. Well, <clears throat> uh, I went back a few days later. In the meantime, my roommate was a Christian. And, and so one night we got down on our knees beside our bed to pray. And we prayed for, for this boy, Mike. And we said, uh, my roommate said in that prayer, he said, God, I pray that you would get a hold of Mike and not let him sleep or study until he makes things right with you. Well, we didn't tell anybody what we'd prayed, but we'd start praying for him. So I went down next weekend. I said, Mike, you've been reading the Gospel of John? He said, no. He said, you know, I've been busy and all that. And I said, well, what are you doing tonight? And he said, nothing. I said, well, sit down. I want to read it to you. <laughs> and I said, now, you can ask questions at any, any time you want to. But I'm, I just want you to see it. Because, see, in the meantime, I had come across John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And it says, Truly, many other signs or miracles did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the ones that are written in the Gospel of John, are written so that you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, and believing you might have life through his name. So you can. That's why the Gospel of John was written, to help people believe who didn't believe. And so I thought, well, that's a good place to start, so I went and read the Gospel of John. So I started reading to him. And so we'd read along, and you know, I later found out, and this was a very encouraging thing to me, some, I guess, 15, 16 years later, I found that that's what Jim Peterson had done down in Brazil to reach people. He'd start with the Gospel of John, and he'd, and he'd use a chapter a week, and uh, he'd just read it. And uh, they'd talk about it. Well, I told this fellow that day, I said, now you can ask any question you want to, anytime you want to. And so we'd read along, and there's some things he didn't believe. 
And so I, I didn't argue with him. I said, well, that's what it says. Yeah, but I don't believe it. Okay, fine. But let's go on. So we just read. And I didn't argue with him, but I basically just tried to point him out what God said. Well, a few days later, I went down again and next weekend. And you've been reading the Gospel of John. No, what are you doing that? Nothing will sit down. So we just read the Gospel of John. Well, as I read that and continued to read over a period of time, read that to him, the Lord began to really deal with him. So one night I came in from church, and uh, he met me inside the dorm, and, and he said, Listen, I'm ready to be saved. He said, I have not slept or studied for a week. Now, just about a week before, my roommate and I, when we had knelt to pray, he said, God, get a hold of Mike and don't let him sleep or study till he makes things right with you. Well, that's exactly what he told me that day. He said, I haven't slept or studied for a week. And he became a Christian. Now, it's just interesting. About three weeks ago, I had a call from him. I had not heard from him. After that, I moved to another dorm the next year, uh, continued to try to help him some, but uh, he called me. Uh, he had called, uh, been in the service all this time, been in Germany, and he called Texas A&M just to find out where I was and called me uh, just about three weeks ago and said God is really still working in his life. Well, you know, the thing I'm saying... When I witnessed him, it was in a very stumbling way. I didn't know what to do but just read the Gospel of John to him. But God used it. And so I've seen this many, many times. One of the things that you have to learn is that the power is not in you, it's in the Gospel. See? And when you begin to share the good news of Jesus, God will use that. And now, you must learn to share it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is what Paul said happened. Our gospel didn't come to you just in word, but it came also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now, I want to give you another passage, and you won't need to look to it, but just jot this down. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, because it's been so encouraging to me. Now, this was written by Paul also, and I want you to listen to it. And he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech, are of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. Now, that's encouraging. When Paul came, he wasn't, he didn't come with excellency of speech. So in order to be a good witness, you don't have to be excellent in speech or of wisdom. You don't have to be the brightest kid on the campus. And he says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, that was going to be Paul's message. Not a bunch of philosophy, but he was going to tell people about Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, that he was the Son of God, that he died for people. And he said, And I was with you, now notice this, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, Paul said when he was in Corinth, he was with those people in weakness, fear, and much trembling. Now, if you've read the Bible very much, most of you probably have the impression that the great apostle Paul was just a tiger type. You know, I mean, he just was so bold, and you don't really identify with that, most of you, very much. You know, you think, man, if Paul was on our campus, he'd roll through the dorms and witness and preach on, you know, and all that. But now notice what he said, when I was with you, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. So that doesn't disqualify you. I was with you in weakness, fear, and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but notice this but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And a lot of you thought, well, those two things could never go together. The weakness and the fear and the much trembling are in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And if I said, now, which group do you think you, you're in if you had to take a choice? Are you in the group 
that's the weakness and the fear and the much trembling. I mean, when you think about witnessing. Well, now see, usually we thought, well, now that would be the group there, the weakness, the fear, the much trembling. But over here, there's another group of people that are just filled and, uh, you know, with power. And Well, now you see, that's not right because that was in the same person. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, but my speech and my speech and my preaching was not with the wisdom of man or with any kind of eloquent speech, but he said it was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So you can be filled with weakness, fear, and trembling, and yet present the message in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, does that encourage you? See, it's not in you. The power is not in you. But as you yield yourself to the Lord and admit your weaknesses, but when you go out to share the message, 1 Peter 1.23 says we're born again uh, by the Word of God. See, the power is in the Word, is in the message. So as we go out and we present it, when you yield yourself to the Lord, you present that message, then God uses it to change people. Now that's one of the things that you've got to learn. You'll never be what God wants you to be. There's no conceivable way you'll ever be what God wants you to be unless you learn to present the message in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that does not mean that you will not have weaknesses and fear and much trembling, but it does mean that as you yield yourself to the Lord and begin to go, and, and it's been the experience of those who've witnessed through the years that as you yield yourself, the first few times you witness, normally you're scared stiff. But if you will continue to talk to people about the Lord over a period of time, you'll find that it becomes easier. Now, it never becomes the easiest thing in the world, but it does become much easier. And as you get to know the Lord, it's more natural for you to talk about Him without being so scared. But I just thought that might help you. And see, that's the first thing that Paul did when he got to Thessalonica. He started sharing the message in the power of the Holy Spirit. With all of his weaknesses, with all of his fears, with all of his much trembling... He shared the message. And so you share the message where you are because that's what people need to hear. There's not anything that people on your campus need to know about any more than Jesus. Now, let me just give you a little illustration to maybe help you understand this. You know, there's an old evangelist one time kept trying to figure out how he could get over to people the importance of, you know, how long eternity was and how brief our life is. See, your life, the Bible says, is just as a split second compared to eternity. James 4.14 says, Whereas, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. It's kind of like the early morning fog. You may wake up in the morning, maybe a little bit foggy, and the sun comes out in a few, just a little while, it's gone. And so the writer of James, the Bible, says, that's exactly what your life is like. Your life is just like that. Now, this old evangelist kept trying to think, well, how can I demonstrate to people how long eternity is and how brief your life is? And, it, and so, in comparison to our life. So he said, well, you know, if you could take a steel ball the size of the earth and just fling it out into space, and it would take a little sparrow here from, from earth, and we'll say that we'll put that ball out there, and it takes that little sparrow a thousand years just to get out there to where that steel ball is. And so the little sparrow flies out there and it takes him a thousand years to get out there. And when he gets out there, he just barely brushes the tip of his wing against that steel ball and then he turns around and flies back to earth. It takes him a thousand years to get back. And then he rests, you know, and gets a good nice rest and then he heads back again. It takes him a thousand years to get out there. And each time when he gets out there, he barely brushes the tip of his wing against that steel ball. 
Now, by the time that little sparrow has worn that steel ball down to the size of a grain of sand, eternity would only be beginning. Now, you see, that's a long time, isn't it? And to think that while you're here on earth, that so many people get so caught up in just making a living. That's why most people go to college, you know, basically. Your parents, a lot of times, send you to college just to get a degree so you can make a living. Now, there's not one thing wrong with making a living. God himself said we are to earn our bread by the sweat of our brow. And he is far as working. But who wants to give their life just to making a living? Because your life is as a split second. Eternity is forever. And every person you ever come in contact with the rest of your life is either going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ or eternity without him. Now, can you think of anything a person would ever want you to do more for him than tell him about Jesus? To think that he could spend eternity with God forever and ever and ever. Well, see, it helps me when I think about witnessing to think that someday when I talk to this person, they're going to appreciate it. I've never talked to a man about the Lord yet, but what someday I know they're going to be deeply grateful for that. If they become a Christian, I've never known a person yet that said, well, I wish I hadn't become a Christian so early. See? Because when a person becomes a Christian, most of the people... I was just talking to a man yesterday. He came up to me after I spoke in his session. He said, oh, said my wife and I were just talking last night. said, we so wish we could have heard some of these things years ago. Well, I've never met a man that's become a Christian, but what was not grateful when he did become a Christian and many times wishes he had become a Christian earlier. And then if a person doesn't become a Christian, I know they will remember that for a long, long time. And many people that you witness to may not become Christians now but they will become Christians on down the line somewhere. Now, let me just tell you a story too about that. When I was first learning to witness, I guess the first summer after my time in college, I came home and I wanted to help someone else in the Christian life. I'd never heard about follow-up, the navigators or anybody, but God had just been placing it in my heart since I'd been growing to find a young Christian to help. So I thought about a fellow that I, I knew in high school. And so I started helping him. So we went to Glorietta one summer for student week. And on the way, we, we decided we'd leave early and go to Santa Fe, New Mexico and just take a day and witness there. And so we'd go out to the park and just, you know, we knew teenagers and others would be hanging around and we could talk to them. So one day, Santa Fe, New Mexico from Littlefield, Texas. And so I went in and introduced myself. I said, say, don't you live in Littlefield? And he said, yes. I said, well, I, I you know, I'd seen you around the streets there and and uh, he'd come out to our home one night. My dad's a carpenter, and he'd come out for my dad to figure a job, so I, I knew who he was. And so uh, I said to him, uh, Sir, uh, he, uh, are you over here on vacation? And he said, Yes. And he said, What are you doing over here? And you see, I could have said, Well, I just came over here to go to a conference. But if you'll learn to ask people questions, then they in turn will ask you questions. They'll give you an opportunity to witness. See, like that girl yesterday, we talked to her about, uh, you know, where have you been? Well, she'd been skiing. I said, well, we've been up in Colorado, too. And so we tried to arrange a conversation where she'd ask us some questions. So I asked him, I said, well, are you over here on vacation? He said, yes. And he said, yeah, what are you doing over here? And I said, well, uh, I'm out here at a Christian conference ground. And the reason I'm in Santa Fe today, though, is because of what Jesus Christ has done for me you know, I like to share that with other people. And by the way, sir, uh, uh, <coughs> have you ever come to know Christ in a personal way? 
And it's interesting what he said. He said, my wife is a good church member. And I thought that was interesting. I, I hadn't asked him about that. But it was obvious that it, immediately he was evading the question. And I said, well, well, very good. I said, but have you ever come to know Christ in a personal way? And he said, son, you would be amazed at the money I give to the First Baptist Church in Littlefield. And I thought, you know, this guy is really evading the issue. And so I said, well, terrific. But do you feel that you've ever come to know Christ in a personal way? And there's a boy over behind the desk, looked to be about 16, so he pointed at him and he said, why don't you go over and tell him about it? He said, he needs it a whole lot worse than I do. And he laughed and the boy laughed and everybody laughed, you know. And so I, I didn't know what to do. Uh, I knew God had led me there, so I just stood there for a moment and thought. And, and after a few minutes, I said, a few moments, I said, well, sir, you may not appreciate what I'm trying to tell you, but someday you'd give anything in the world if you'd have listened. And so I had a little Billy Graham track, so I gave it to him. I said, won't you take this? Someday you may be more interested than you are right now, and you might want to read it. So I walked out, thanked him for the conversation, walked out, and I looked back as I got out of the motel, and, and I saw him and that other fellow were just laughing. They thought that was the funniest thing. So that was in August, and I went back home Christmas to be with my parents, and I went up to one Sunday afternoon to visit with a pastor a while, and he said, Max, I'm so glad you're here. So guess what's going to happen in our church tonight? I said, well, I don't know. And he said, you remember a man? And he called a man's name. And uh, I said, yes. And he said, well, he's going to be baptized tonight, and so is his wife. He said, one day I just felt led to go by and talk to him. He said, I'd tried to witness to him before, but he had never let me in the house. And so he said, I decided I'd go to his home and talk to him. One day I just felt impressed to do that. And said, so when I went up to his home, knocked on the door, he saw who it was. He said, oh, come in. Come in. I'm so glad you've come. And he said that the pastor realizes a totally different attitude than he had, had before. So he said, uh, I want to tell you a story. He said, you remember that old tall, skinny kid? <laughs> and uh, that was me. And uh, he said, uh, well, yeah. Uh, and he said, well, you know, last summer in August, I was over in Santa Fe, and he came into a motel and witnessed to me, and he said, I didn't like it. He said, I didn't appreciate it a bit. But he said, you know, that's bugged me ever since last August. Said, some time I'll, I'll lay down on bed at night and I'll hear. Someday you'd given anything in the world if you'd listen. <laughs> and he said, it's bothered me ever since. And he said, I am ready to become a Christian. So he accepted the Lord that day. And I had the privilege of seeing he and his wife uh, be baptized that night. Let me quickly give you one other story. One time when I was in junior in college, I was visiting at the University of Houston, leading a witnessing clinic because as a result of some of us beginning to witness, and this is what you'll find, as you begin to do something on your campus and witness, God will use you on that campus, but he'll also use you to encourage other people on other campuses. And so we had had an opportunity to go. We'd gotten a call from the University of Houston wanting some of us to come down and share what God had been doing on our campus. So a girl came up to me one day, and she said, You know, there's a Jewish boy that I have a class with. He's not a Christian. And said, I sure wish you'd could go over and witness to him. She said, I've been trying to. So that afternoon, my friend and I, my roommate and I, headed over to witness to this boy. He was just coming in off the intramural, from intramural athletics and, and had a date or something at night and didn't have much time. So just as we were knocking on his door, he came walking down the hall. And so he said, what do you guys want? So he wasn't the friendliest fellow I'd ever met, so, but we began to visit with him. So he invited us in, and while he was getting dressed and things, we chatted with him for a few minutes. 
And uh, he really didn't seem that interested. And so when we left, we thought, well, you know, we tried and really didn't feel very good about the visit. Just didn't feel like that he was hearing what we were saying very well. And so one night I got home. A few years later, I was on a Sunday night and a girl that I knew uh, called me. And she said, Max, were you in First Baptist Church in Dallas tonight? I lived in Dallas at the time. I said, no, I was at another church. And she said, well, there's a Jewish evangelist tonight that, that got up to speak. He's now in seminary and is quite a, a well-known evangelist, apparently, because he was speaking in First Baptist Church at night. And uh, he stood up and he said, you know, a number of years ago, I was a student at the University of Houston. And one day, a couple of fellows that I'd never met before from Texas A&M came over. I was coming in off the intramural uh, uh, sports field so that I didn't wasn't really too interested in what they had to say, but said they graciously witnessed to me and gave me their own testimony, told me about Jesus. And he said, I really wasn't that interested. But he said, you know, so I went on out on my date that night, and I came in, and he said, that just kept coming back to me. And he said, through the, the weeks, I thought about it, and I kept, it, it's just like it was a broken record or something. It just kept coming back and coming back. And he said, so uh, I went to my friend, and as a result of, of what these fellows had said, I really got interested. So he said, I knew this girl was a Christian. He said, I went to her and said, always before when she'd try to witness to me, I'd turn her off. But he said, I knew she was a Christian now. And said, I went to her and she led me to the Lord. And now he's a, you know, he was in seminary and an evangelist. Well, I'm just saying that there may be times that you feel like you're not very successful. But the point is, the best way for us to begin to reach the world is as Christians, wherever we are, you be faithful where you are to share the good news of Jesus with the people all about you. And when you will do that, amidst all your weakness and your fear and your trembling, if you will pray and ask God to help you and you witness, you will be amazed at how God will convict people, even as a result of your witness. Now, you know, I, I thought it was interesting the other day that within one week, I had a call from two fellows I'd not heard from that I'd had a chance to minister to when I was at Texas A&M 20 years ago. I'd never heard from either one of those fellows in 20 years. And in one week, I got a call from two guys, this fellow I told you about earlier, and another fellow who's now a medical doctor. And he said, you know, I just was thinking about you. I called Texas A&M, tried to find out where you were, the alumni office, and, and he got back in contact with me. Well, I thought that was interesting. That was 20 years ago. I have not seen any one of those fellows in 20 years. And uh, actually, I guess uh, it's been 22 years since I've seen them. 22 for one and 21 for the other one. And then I hear from them again. But see, they never were able to forget that. Now, Paul said, When I came to you, I didn't just share the message, but I also shared it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So remember that. One of the first things you're going to have to learn now, don't, you can't slide off the corner on that one. You're going to have to learn that. See, you must be a witness to other people. Eternity is long. Your life is short. And people that are on this earth now are going to spend eternity either with God or away from God. And it's a ser serious thing but to think that the destiny of another person may depend upon a very brief conversation from you. But that's a fact. Okay? Now, look at... In the latter part of the verse, and there's a second thing I want to point out. This is verse 5. He says, Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. First Thessalonians 1.5. Now here, he's talking about his example. And the thing I want to say here, if you want to have a great ministry, number two, is you must set the example. 
you must set the example. And Paul here calls attention to the quality of life that he lived. You must set the example. Now, if you want other people to walk with God, the thing you have to do is walk with God yourself. Now, young people, you live on a campus today, and regardless of what campus it is, in which there's a lot of looseness, there's a lot... We live in a very undisciplined society. You can look at the national budget and see that the American people are not disciplined. And you can look at everything we do. We're a very, very undisciplined society. People want what they want when they want it, where it's drugs or sex or whatever it is. Now, let me tell you, you cannot live that kind of life and ever really be used of God. You ought to seek to live a godly, holy life. That means uh, that there are certain things that are off-limit to you. There are certain things that you cannot do that other people do. Like, you know, when they first started rating movies, you know, most Christians would not think about going anything that wasn't a G. I mean, a lot of Christians in the churches, I'm talking about serious Christians, they would not go to anything that was not a G. But pretty soon, GP is okay. And then the first thing you know, a lot of them are going to see the R's. Well... See, it's just a matter of whatever you expose yourself to affects you. I mean, it cannot but affect you. And over a period of time, we allow things to come into our mind and it affects you. And so, the thing I'm saying is you've got to live a holy, godly, righteous life. Now, that does not mean that you cannot have fun, that you cannot have a great life. There is no better lifestyle on earth than that of a Christian. I mean, that's just right. And uh, you'll find out this week. You'll have a great time. You'll have fun. And, and, and yet, you will do it in a context of walking with the Lord. Now, that's what God wants with us, is to seek Him to become holy, righteous, godly people. God will not use a dirty vessel over a period of time. Uh, we may see someone that has a gift like of evangelism, and maybe he's not living the most godly life. He stands up and speaks, and a person becomes a Christian. But let me tell you, over a period of time, that will not continue to happen. For example, I heard a man just this week. I, I was up in Illinois with Peter Lord, and Peter was saying that uh, just recently he was in Dallas, and a well-known evangelist was in a meeting where he was speaking. And so when Peter gave some time at the end of the meeting for someone to stand up and mention something, this evangelist stood up and told him how he had just gotten out of a mental institution. His life was wrecked. He had some teenage kids who were on drugs. I mean, his life was a mess. Well, you know, I remember when he mentioned that fellow's name. I remember very, very clearly when I first started seeking to walk with the Lord that this guy was probably the, one of the most prominent evangelists in America. I mean, I'd heard of him. You'd pick up the the Baptist standard in Texas, and every time he is in a church, 150 saved, 200 saved. I mean, he was a phenomenal evangelist. But over a period of time, he allowed sin to enter his life. Peter said when he was graduating, the day he graduated from college, he said there was an evangelist up on the stage receiving his doctor's degree. He said he was a tall, handsome fellow. And Billy Graham, he said, Billy Graham himself said, I am wearing the shoes of the guy, of this particular fellow, said he was the foremost evangelist in America. Billy said as far as his preaching and things like he's, that, he's much better preacher than I am. But he said, just 
This evangelist, and just recently, and a man came to Peter Lord, a man who also was once greatly used of God, and he had fallen into sin, and he'd been out in California, left the ministry, and had gone to Los Angeles and walked into an automobile agency to try to get a job selling cars. And he said, the man said to him when he interviewed him for a job, he said, well, this is interesting. Because he said the last man that was in just, just a few days before, just a, a couple of days before, was a farmer preacher. And now he's out there selling cars. And so he said, I got the job. And he said, within two weeks, this man that, that Billy Graham said was the greatest evangelist in America was working there. He said the fellow was, I mean, his, his life was such a mess. He said he came to drunk uh, to the work every day drunk, and, and they fired him within two weeks. And you can look all over this country and see people that maybe at one time had a good start, and yet they allowed sin to come into their life and they're out of it. Now, God is not going to use you. You can just count on that. You'll never be what God wants you to be unless you seek to set your heart on God and have a holy, godly relationship with Him. Now, that does not mean that you cannot have a great, great blast. But you know who has the most fun? It's people who really walk with the Lord. And so, Paul says, now, if you are going to reach other people, you're going to have to become an example. Because people want to know how to live. How are they going to figure out how to live? They're going to, they're going to see your life. And when you live a godly life, there will be people around you just like you're just like a magnet because God will bring hungry people around you once you set the example. Okay? Now, we're going to have to hurry. Verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 6 here, the third thing I want to say is get other people imitating you. Get other people imitating you. Paul says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Get other people imitating you. Now, let me just quickly give you some verses. Some of these you may already know, but I'll just list them and you can look them up later. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, Wherefore I beseech you, be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 4.16, Wherefore I beseech you, be you followers of me. Philippians 4.9, Those things you've both learned and heard and received and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Philippians 3.17, Mark those which you have as an example, an example unto you to follow us. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, you know how he says we were an example unto you and we left you an example and you know how you ought to follow us. That's 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9. Now, again and again you see this idea of follow me, follow me, follow me. See, if you will learn how to walk with God, if you'll learn how to memorize verses, then you can set the example in that area, begin to do it, and then you can turn to another person and say, you want to know how I do it? Here's the way I do it. I write them on little cards and and you can share with them how to do it. You want to know how to quiet, have a quiet time? Here's what I do in my quiet time. And so as a result of that, you share with him how he can do it, and he begins to do it. It's the old monkey see, monkey do principle. And that's basically the way people learn. How does a child learn to talk? Well, he listens to people talk. People set the example before him. They talk. And so he listens, see. 
and you begin to help him. And, and that's where he learns to walk. He sees people walking. You pick him up, help him. He falls, pick him up, help him again, see. And that's the idea of setting the example and getting them imitating you. And that's what Paul did. Now, notice what happened. He goes into a city, Thessalonica. He begins to share the message of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what happens when he started doing it? People started becoming Christians. You know what will happen? Shreveport, Louisiana, University of Iowa, any place like that, when you go out and you begin to share the, the message of Jesus Christ, you know what's going to happen? People will become Christians. I mean, they will. You can count on it. I remember when we first started the Bible study, when I first came, we started studying First Thessalonians because I think it's one of the greatest books on follow-up in Paul's heart for people. And so I told some of the fellows, you know what's going to happen because we're going to study this book and then after we have our Bible study, we're going to go out in the Dharma Witness. You know what will happen? And some fellows said, well, no. Well, do you know what's going to happen when we go out and witness? You know what will happen? Not every time, but over a period of time, people will become Christians. I mean, they will. The problem is not that there are different kind of people at the University of Iowa or Shreveport or any other place, because certainly they're different in some ways. There's a different, or like in Indonesia place, there are different cultures but they're, they're basically, people are the same in their heart. And the good news of Jesus will convert people at the University of Iowa or Shreveport or Indonesia or Africa or any place, see. And so Paul would go and share the message. People became Christians. Now, how do you live the Christian life? See, that's one of the big problems you've got. A lot of people become Christians that don't know how to live the Christian life. So, how did they learn to live it? Well, standing right in front of them, the person that led them to the Lord, here's a man standing in front of them that's an example. And so, Paul was an example to them. So they said, well, how do you live a Christian life? Well, let's watch old Paul. He knows how. So they watched him. And not only did they watch him, but he drew them alongside and began to share with them what to do. And he said, now, you want to know how to witness? You follow me. You watch me. I heard a fellow speak a number of years ago by the name of Dick Hillis. He was a missionary in China when he was 19. He went to China. Can you imagine that? He wound up in China when he was 19 as a missionary uh, with the China Inland Mission. And uh, so he got over there and he was pastoring a little church and he had learned the language and all that and I don't know how old he was at this time but a fairly young man. And so he had this little group of of Chinese people. And he said most of them had the equivalent of a fourth grade education, about between a fourth and fifth grade education here in America. So he would go out one time and, and preach. He had a young fellow there from his church and he took him with him on a preaching tour. So they went over to this other province there in China and started preaching. Well, not a great deal happened. One night he came back out and he was so discouraged. And they were camping outside of town and had their little old bedrolls out there and little old fire. And so he told that young boy that night, he said, you know, I'm never going to go out and preach again like this. He said, I, I'm just never going to do it. Uh, and so said, I'm going to find out there's something wrong. I don't know what it is, but something's wrong. We're not having any real impact much. So the young fellow said, well, said Dick, you're just discouraged. Won't you go on to sleep? You'll feel better in the morning. So the young fellow went on to sleep. But Dick, he said he had a little old read thing and he took it stuck it in a little bowl of oil and that was his little candle and he said I'm going to read the book of Acts I see that the early Christians had more power than I do and I want to see what the deal is so he started reading through the book of Acts 
And he said, I hadn't read very long. He said, I began to think, now either something is wrong with my message or something's wrong with my method or something. And he said, I read and I saw that they preached Jesus, that he was the Son of God, that he was crucified, that he rose from the dead. And he said, that's what I was preaching. So he said, I really didn't think there's that much wrong with my message. He said, now I'm not the best preacher in the world, but I, at least doesn't say they were the best preachers in the world either, but they, at least I knew my message was right. So he said, I thought it must be my method. So he said he read along and he read till he got over the 20th chapter in verse 4. And it's talked about Paul going into Asia, and when he went into Asia, there accompanied him Sopater of Berea, this little city called Berea. And it, this, there's a guy there by the name of Sopater, or Sopi if you want to call him that. And so here's Sopater of Berea, and in of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Tychicus, and Trophimus. And so when Paul left, you know, all these funny names. But he said, you know, that verse, one of the greatest verses, I think, in the New Testament, and it lists all these weird names. But Paul would go through, and they were taking up offerings, but he would to take to Jerusalem to help the poor saints. But in these different cities, as they'd give their offerings, they'd also, he'd pick up a man to go with him. And during that time, you, imagine, you can imagine the time they spent together going to Jerusalem from all these cities on, on a boat and walking or riding a donkey or whatever. But they spent a lot of time together. And so Dick said, man, when I read that verse that night, he thought, ah, oh, that's the answer. So he said that night he figured out that if he reached that city, that particular city where he had gone to preach, at the rate he was preaching and the number of people becoming Christians each night, he figured out that night it would take him 98 years. And he thought, I'm not going to be here 98 years. And so the next morning when the young boy woke up early, well, Dick was packing up the bedroll and he said, where are you going? And he said, we're going home. He said, going home, we, we just started. He said, no, we're never going to do this anymore. He said, I, I'm not going to operate like we've been. So he went back to his little old church and he got the people together. And he said, now, what I've been doing has been wrong. I've been going out by myself. Well, I've had little Johnny here or whoever he was with me, Kim, something. So he said, I've had him here with me. But he said, you know, that's not the way they operated in the New Testament. So he said, I tell you what, I won't, uh, I'm not going to go out again unless some of you men go with me, and I'll train you. So he said they had three questions. One was, how much will you pay us? And he said, well, you show me in the New Testament how much Paul paid his guys, and that's how much I'll pay you. <laughs> so he said that took care of the first question. <laughs> and then the second thing, he said, well, what will we eat? And he said, well, what do you eat now? And they said, well, we have a bowl of rice in the morning and a piece of bread at night. He said, well, we'll just put the rice on our back and take us some rice with us and we can, you know, cook a little along the way and we'll eat out there what we eat here. So he said that answered the second question. He said the third question is, they said, well, we don't know how to preach. He said, you don't have to know. You just listen to me and you'll learn how. So he took his little band of men there from his little church, third and fourth grade education, and so here they'd go out to the city. And he said after they'd lay by their crops, you know, and everything... Well, then they'd head out. They'd be gone for weeks at a time. Here he'd go, you know, a little back man got their rice on their back, and here they'd go to the city. And uh, he said, you know, it was phenomenal what began to happen. He said, I'd stand up and preach, and these guys would listen. And then finally I got to where I'd let one of those guys preach. And he said he'd get up, and he said 90% of his time, he'd knock the heads off the false gods or something, you know, and talk about their false gods. And then he'd, about 10% of it was about Jesus. And then he said, pretty soon it got to be about 50% about Jesus. And he said it wasn't long until they'd just use as an introduction about their false gods and then they'd preach about Jesus. 
And he said, you know, there in a period of three years, he said, we established, we won more people to the Lord than he would have in the 98 or some giant figure like that. And he said, I think they started 28 churches there in just a brief period of time just with this little band of men. Well, see, the principle here was he set the example before them. He had those men and he drew them alongside and he got them doing what he was doing. See, that's the way the gospel begins to spread. Now, I want to wind this up by saying uh, the next thing, verse 7, and then you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, notice here, the fourth thing is teach them to reproduce it. Teach them to reproduce it. Whatever you've taught them, teach them to reproduce it. See, that's the idea. They became examples to others. He taught them to become examples or to reproduce. Now, notice here. Paul comes into town and he speaks the message. People become Christians. He sets the example before them. He gets them alongside and he teaches them to follow him. And as a result of them following Paul, Paul, first of all, said he was in verse 5, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you. He says, I was an example before you. I taught you how to live. And now you have become an example. And look at the next verse. Verse 8. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. That is, from you people in Thessalonica. Not only in Macedonia and Caeth, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth. So we do not need to say anything. They themselves report concerning us what a great entrance we had to you. How you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, Paul set the example before those people. They started following him, and then they became examples to others, and from them, they began, to, they began to do exactly what Paul did. They started speaking the message in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the gospel spread through that whole section of the country not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. He said, your faith is spread abroad. When I get there, I don't need to say anything because I can go to a strange city and they come tell me what an entrance we have to you, how you people have become Christians. So you see the idea? If you want to have a real ministry to the whole world, you're going to have to start where you are. And if you will begin to share the message of Christ, people will become Christians. It, I mean, other things being right, you pray, you seek God, you witness, people will become Christians. There's not a single person here, but what God will give you someone else on your campus who will become a Christian. If you'll pray and you continue to pray, someone will become a Christian. Or maybe if it's not someone you want to the Lord, you can adapt, uh, adopt him and begin to help him to grow. And then you set the example, get him following you, he begins to do what you do, and then you teach him how to witness, just as you witnessed him. You teach him to how, to how to have a quiet time. He starts having a quiet time. Then you teach him so he can teach another person. And then the gospel just goes on. Now, I want to close with one illustration here. I, I brought with me a sheet out of an old Bible. and It just came out. And uh, <clears throat> one night, a friend in Oklahoma City, I went up to have dinner, and the essence of it was, we were trying to figure out an illustration that could help people understand this concept of the power in your life that if you will walk with God what God could do through you and so he took a ruler and measured across the end of a Bible here and uh, we toyed around with several things and he called back there so later and he said Max I, I know how to do it so he'd taken a ruler and measured across the end of a Bible here the particular Bible we used 
and then we counted the pages and and it took five about 500 sheets to measure one inch measuring across this way so that means that that sheet of paper was 2,000 of an inch thick now that's pretty thin just onion skin paper that sheet of paper is somewhere around 2,000 of an inch thick now what would happen if you took this little sheet of paper 2,000 of an inch thick and you folded it and now it's four thousandths of an inch thick. And you fold it again, see it doubles each time, it'd be eight thousandths of an inch thick. You fold it again, and it would be sixteen thousandths of an inch thick. Right? Now, the point is, as you continue to, to fold this, it shows a concept of spiritual multiplication. Now, here you are, just you. Now, there are a lot of people out there, but you start walking with God. You begin to share the message in the power of the Spirit. People will become Christian. Okay, you've got another one. See, another person. You set the example. You teach him what you're doing. And now there's two of you. And now you go after another one. You get him to go after another one. And so then, you continue to help this person, continue to be his friend, this first person that you reach. But then... You teach them to reproduce, and you go after another one, and then there could be four of you.